Now to that possible medical breakthrough. Researchers at Stanford University and UCSF making a big discovery that could help lead to a cure for the common colds. Is it a cure? Welcome to Biologists Being Basic, a podcast where we talk about basic research, why we care about it, and why you should too. I'm your host and resident basic biologist, Robin Cake. Each episode, I'm joined by fellow UCSF scientists, as well as non-scientist friends, to ask questions, talk science, and have fun. This week, we talk about the common cold and the basic research into the viruses that cause it. This episode centers around a paper published in September of 2019 in the journal Nature Microbiology, and it's titled, Enterovirus Pathogenesis Requires the Host Methyltransferase Set D3. We actually recorded this episode shortly after its publication, around when news broadcasts and newspapers picked it up before the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's why even though we're talking about respiratory viruses, we aren't referencing SARS-CoV-2. If you're interested in COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2, I recommend listening to our mini-series, which focuses on that virus. Despite being recorded earlier, we really liked this paper and this research topic, and we hope you will like it too. So with that, uh, let's get to the episode. Today, my co-host is Kelsey. Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm a graduate student in systems biology research studying influenza A viruses. And joining us to make sure that we stay on point are our friends and expert humans, Gina and Megan. Hi, I'm Gina, one of the non-scientists. I'm Megan. I'm definitely not a scientist. And fittingly, I have a cold right now. <laughs> So every year around fall and winter, there's talk about cold and flu season. Probably you hear about it from your doctor or your family and friends, or even sometimes in the news. Often it's referenced in relation to how to prevent the cold or flu. Usually advice about washing your hands, staying warm, keeping healthy, um, or getting a flu shot, uh, which is always really good. And we'll get to some of these details later in the pod. Um, but while today's episode is about the cold virus, I thought it would be good to start off by talking about the difference between cold and flu viruses, given that they're often confused for each other. So this is partly because cold and flu are both seasonal illnesses. Um, they're both caused by respiratory viruses, and they typically result in similar symptoms, such as sore throat, runny nose, nasal congestion, sneezing, and cough. Um, while the cold is usually less severe, uh, and the flu often is much more severe, they are still often confused for each other. And so when you go to the doctor, sometimes you don't know which one you have. Um, but they are caused by different viruses. Flu is caused by strains of influenza virus, uh, whereas cold is caused by different strains of enteroviruses. So Kelsey, you're studying influenza for your graduate degree. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about the differences in uh, the structure of these viruses, um, kind of like where they infect, what they look like, uh, and potentially why flu is uh, more severe than cold. Yeah, um, so kind of like what you said, some of the differences are um, in the cell types they infect or how you get infected with the virus and also how the virus looks itself. Um, so influenza viruses are um, respiratory viruses, meaning you get them if you like breathe them in. So they infect your airway epithelial cells. Whereas, 
Okay. What what's an epithelial cell? Um it it just means like means so like outside. skin cells yeah. are epithelial okay. cells. So anything yeah. that would touch the outside environment. But the outside of your lungs? But your lungs it, are technically outside because that's where you get air in. Yeah, okay. it's like the airway cavity. Yeah. So the inside is the outside. All right. No, no. Yeah. Whereas okay. your blood is not. Okay. Right. Yeah. Your blood does not touch any outside surface. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. So flu is through the epithelial cells of the mm-hmm. lungs, but what is the common cold? So enteroviruses are named enterovirus because most of them are like intestinal tract infection, yeah. but the one that we're talking about is at, is a respiratory virus. So in that case, they're very similar. Does that mean it's airborne? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So when my nephew coughs on me, it's bad news. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, um, so they think enteroviruses are very good at being sticky. So they like to adhere to surfaces and they can stay there for hours to days at ambient temperature. So if somebody sneezes on a doorknob and then you go and you touch that doorknob, now you have the virus on your hand. And so then now if you're like touching your face or you're eating or something like that, then you're going to get the virus. Okay. So it's not just you me like, like yeah. touching it on my hand and it's now inside my body. It does have to like make its way into my lungs somehow. So yeah. And so both of these viruses are RNA viruses. Is that correct? Yes, they are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So influenza is um, cool because it has a segmented genome. So instead of one long piece of genetic material, it's segmented into eight parts. So every little virus particle makes sure that it has each of these eight parts, whereas enteroviruses are just one long giant piece of RNA. So one long piece of genetic material that they encapsulate. So enteroviruses are actually this really large family of viruses. And like there are, which I didn't actually know until I did some of the research, there are like scientists that get together and have symposium and conferences and meetings about which virus should be in which family, like the phylum that they're supposed to be in. And so enteroviruses, so rhinoviruses are the viruses that cause cold. Um, but there's also part of enteroviruses is polioviruses um, and then the non-poliovirus uh, enteroviruses. So they cause things like the cold, but also hand, foot and mouth disease. Uh, and some of them have been linked to other types of um, neurological um, conditions disease, yeah. and disease. Yeah. Okay. Like polio. So. The common cold uh, is caused by enteroviruses, yes, but there are, this is a family of 160 plus viruses. So it's not just one. Mm. Um, And that kind of leads us into, so there's no vaccine for the common cold. There's no cure for the common cold. It's really difficult because it's not just one virus. It's many different viruses and viruses mutate. So it's really hard to vaccinate against 160 viruses. Yeah, and um, I mean, influenza also mutates really fast, but rhinoviruses, it's estimated that there's roughly one mutation per replication cycle. So potentially the genetic makeup of the rhinovirus that infects you and gives you the common cold is not gonna be the same genetic makeup as the virus that leaves your body. So it's already different after only infecting just you. Okay, so this explains why my family can pass colds back and forth and we don't get immune because yes okay and yes 
being infected once with this with the cold virus does not protect you from the other cold viruses. Mm. It maybe gives you a, a little bit of a boost, but it's not it's not completely protective. Do I at least become immune to the exact one that I fought off if I happen to get that exact that same yeah, if you yeah. happen to get that <laughs> sure. same one, you are yeah. Okay, and I'm you taking are, just, yeah, yeah. hard to yeah, but, but there's the 100, chance of that is less. One hundred and sixty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that kind of brings us to uh, the news clips that we played at the front of the episode is that there there really isn't a cure for the cold. Uh, so how you know, how do scientists try to come up with these cures for the cold? And um, there, uh, for the listeners at home who would prefer to read, then go track down news clippings. Um, there are several print news articles that covered um, a story uh, about some basic research into enteroviruses, which are the viruses that cause the cold. So if you want to follow along, um, we've linked um, one of the articles at uh, uh, from the Washington Post by journalist Katie Shepard. Um, it's on our website. Uh, it just is basically a really nice summary um, of the peer-reviewed scientific research article that was published in the journal Nature Microbiology. Uh, this was published back in September 2019. Um, so uh, we've also posted that article on our website for those of you who are interested in taking a look at the primary research article um, and taking a stab at that. But um, so let's uh, maybe let's go into this article a little bit because I think it does a really nice job of summarizing the research article for people that are maybe um, less technically savvy or less biologically savvy. Um, the article is titled uh, Cure for the Common Cold. It's possible, scientists say, after a new study finds key proteins. Um, Gina, you've read the Washington Post article. Do you want to give us a quick summary? Yeah, so um, apparently there were scientists at Stanford and University of California, San Francisco, um, that had identified a protein that essentially acts as food for the virus. Or maybe not food, but um, there's a key protein that, is, that plays a special role um, for, for this virus. And um, the scientist uh, conducted a gene knockout, which Robin and Kelsey, you can explain what a gene knockout is, but basically um, uh, via that gene knockout, they identified this protein that, um, that keeps the virus alive and helps the virus move from cell to cell. So the next step is to figure out how to um, stop this, this virus by inhibiting the interaction between that protein and the virus. Is that right? Yeah, I think you covered a lot of the main points. So yes, the scientists at UCSF and Stanford, um, they were doing genetic knockouts using a technique called CRISPR. Um, and the details of it are probably less important, but basically what you do is you design a molecule that will go into the cell and essentially break a specific gene. And they do this for every gene in our genome. Um, and they create this pool of differentially mutated cells, so where each one has one gene knocked out, and then they infect those cells and they see which ones prevent infection and which ones allow infection. 
And so they used that strategy and they found that this one human protein called SETB3, um, if you got rid of it in those cells, the virus couldn't infect them anymore. Um, so they used kind of a bunch of different other uh, techniques to try to figure out how that was happening. Um, and they found that basically this set D3 protein, um, which was um, identified in our bodies as a methyltransferase, its methyltransferase activity is actually not essential for this function. So they went further and were trying to figure out, okay, if its activity doesn't matter, why does it matter? Why does the virus even care if this protein's here? And they took one of the viral proteins and they found out that this viral protein physically interacts with the human protein. So basically they could see that part of the reason for why this other protein was essential is because it's interacting with one of the viral proteins. Um, and so they weren't able to kind of figure out all the mechanistic details, but it gives us kind of a starting point for which we can now go look and say, okay, if we can break that interaction as opposed to breaking the gene, could we come up with a treatment for this, for this particular, for enteroviruses, essentially? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess the goal would be to create an inhibitor so that way that protein, the human protein does not interact with yeah, so there's there's a couple different strategies you could think of. So you could try just get rid of that set D3 protein, except that it's in your body for a reason, and it does have some effects um, if you get rid of it. Mice, so if you get rid of it in mice, they will survive, but then they can't have contractions, so the mother mice have problems during birth. Um, so it's not really a great protein to just get rid of. So instead of doing that, what would be better would be to try to design some sort of molecule that would fit between the two proteins so they couldn't interact anymore. So it would leave your human set D3 still functional and doing all the things it's supposed to do, but would prevent it from interacting with the virus and then the virus would just die. So that's kind of like the goal of what future experiments will do. Mm -hmm. Okay, I understood some of the summary up until, like, all right, they know proteins are important for the virus to spread to cells. They knock out each of these proteins, figure out that this set D3 is really important, apparently, because without it, the virus can't infect. Can't infect, yeah. But then you mentioned methyltransferase. So methyltransferase is uh, the set D3 itself, it's called a methyltrans, it's a methyltransferase. That's just what the protein is. So what it does is basically, um, it's a enzymatic protein. Basically it's a protein that has activity. So it goes around in the cell and its actual function is to methylate histidines on other proteins. So it basically goes around and it gets little, little molecules from inside the cell and it runs up to this other protein and it goes plop, and it puts a methyl on it in a specific site. Okay. And that it's like methyl. A writer protein. Yeah. It's just like, writing in. Okay. In this case, it's a methyl group. So the set D3 is a name of job. one type of methyltransferase protein? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes more sense. Thank you. Thank you. That was a really good summary, Gina. 
Um, Megan, you also read the article. What were some of the take-home messages you had? Were you able to follow along and like understand most of it? Did you take a stab at the <laughs> uh, primary research article? So I tried the primary research article because I do have access through UCSF. And I can usually get through abstracts of articles. Um, but this one, I got to a string of like seven words, <laughs> and I couldn't figure out what were nouns and what were adjectives and what might even be a verb. And so I stopped about two sentences in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I switched to the Washington Post, which was much easier to understand. But yeah, it sounds like they've done this kind of exploratory research, I guess, basic biology, which is probably why you guys picked this, of they know proteins are important and figured out there's this one protein now. Um, and the article kind of did a good job of saying, you know, this doesn't do anything yet, but it leaves them options to look for um, future cures. Uh, though I did notice I was getting confused because they were switching between the word cure and vaccine, and I realized I don't know the difference. Yeah, so uh, vaccine would be you getting immunity to something before you've even seen it. So a vaccine is trying to give your body immunity before the you get infected. A cure would be you were infected, you didn't prevent it, and now you are trying to get it out of your body or stop it once it's in your body. So a way to boost your immunity or to try to, once you've been infected, uh, mitigate the damage. So remove the virus inside of your body. So something like antibiotics would be like a cure. Okay. Um, you don't work on viruses, yeah. but that but type of preventive versus coming after you've already been infected. Yeah, okay. Exactly. All right, that's what I thought, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, and then I noticed in the article that they, or at least the Washington Post article kind of summarized that they went through different stages of testing if this set D3 is really important and does really stop the virus from spreading. First in cancer cells, then in normal cells, and then in mice models. But why start with cancer cells? So cancer cells, uh, typically they're like cell lines. They're easier to work with. Um, and Kelsey actually works with lung epithelial cells, so she can maybe attest to that they're a little bit more difficult to work with than a cancer cell. Cancer cells are nice because they uh, are already kind of designed to grow faster, they're easier to manipulate, they're easier to work with. So typically things like a huge pooled screen, which is what the scientists did in this, um, in their first kind of systems biology approach that they used, are easier to do in cancer cells. Mm. Um, they're also easier to manipulate, so not all cells can be infected by enterovirus. So they actually genetically manipulated their cancer cells so that they would be uh, infectable by multiple types of enterovirus. Okay, so they were trying to get more and more realistic or more and more close to humans, starting with manipulated cancer cells and then individual normal normal cells, and then an actual live model of a mouse to try and get yeah. closer and closer to the human body. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, kind of a thought question to pose to all of you guys. Uh, you know, as most science is government funded, uh, I think it's important to take that into account when you think of like resources are limited. 
uh, not just in terms of funding, but the number of scientists in the world is a limiting factor. There's only so much time to devote to certain problems. So um, when we think about it, like not even just human health in general, but how do we prioritize which problems we study? So the common cold doesn't actually cause that much uh, damage in most cases. Most people are just going to recover and naturally throughout the course uh, become better. So why do you guys think that um, basic researchers should be studying enteroviruses? So I think it is important to understand that there is that protein, set D3, right? Um, it, it, you have to conduct basic science research to get to that point to understand that set D3 is the protein to um, target or inhibit that interaction with the virus. Inhibit that interaction between the two. Yeah, and I don't, I, don't, I don't even think viruses are bad now after having this conversation. Like, I don't think like viruses are the bad guys. Like, no, we just need to keep the virus protein and the human protein separate. I mean, I think they would die. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm okay with that. They can live on a surface for many days. They're okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So working around scientists, there are so many different causes and focuses. And I know they are, like you said, they're... The common cold doesn't cause a lot of deaths. Like, do, do people ever die from the common cold? But, I mean, it's not as deadly as other things. It doesn't deeply affect our lives as much as other things. But I think of my own life, like, how many sick days have I had to take? Oh, yeah. And recovering from work and loss of productivity. Like, all right, me times however many millions of people are affected by the common cold okay, if we can make progress on this, a lot of lives are made better in a small way, which will lead them to be more productive in other ways. Yeah, I had an estimate from a 2003 survey that um, estimated $40 billion annually went to direct and indirect costs for influenza virus respiratory infections. So like to your point, if you get sick a lot and you miss work, it has a pretty big economic impact. Yeah. And I think to your point, so aside from just the general, like, yeah, it'd be better if the workforce was still at work and our own personal lives might benefit, there are, yes, people who, when they're infected with the common cold, it is a severe illness. So while the bulk majority of us are going to go about our lives with some sort of minor inconvenience, we'll miss a few days of work and we'll you know, get better eventually. There are some people for whom that's not the case and they aren't going to get better. And so having something that can prevent them from having severe illness would be a very good thing to have. Uh, in addition to that, there's always, I mean, the viruses mutate. It's hard to say when a virus is going to mutate to become more infectious, more severe, or have just a different outcome in different populations that are vulnerable, like children or elderly. So we need to, I think it's important to always be kind of at the front lines and studying things that maybe don't seem like they're super urgent. They might become urgent later. In addition to that, viruses and pathogens happen to be, I think, way better molecular biologists than scientists are they have evolved to manipulate the cell to their benefit. 
and therefore by studying them, we actually understand ourselves better. So understanding how what a virus is targeting to accomplish its goal can let us know what our cell is naturally doing uh, when a virus is not present. So yeah, the Washington Post article seems like we don't know what the set D3 does in the human body. There's very little that we know about what set D3 does in the human body. Um, it's it uh, it does act as a histidine methyltransferase. <laughs> Oh, that was a lot of words. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, linked to uh, being required for smooth muscle contraction in laboring uterus. <laughs> I think viruses are like little yeah. like babies, you know, just yeah. ready, ready to like be born. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it's, um, it's supposed to methylate uh, actin and actin is like the fiber that like makes your muscles contract. Okay, and by methylate, you take one little thingy and plop it on another Yeah, so you're changing okay. its function by putting like, like if you put like a hat on something or like your- A methyl hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like a little, like, it. like, yeah, it's like a little thing that now changes it. Now go outside. It. Yeah. <laughs> Protected now, from the sun. Now it's ready. Ready to do its yeah. function outside. I get, maybe it's more like putting like a wheel on it and okay. now you're like, oh, I go faster. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that's probably a better analogy for it. Um, the cold is not the only virus that we could study. And obviously like our lab even studies many other types of viruses, um, usually ones that are a little bit more damaging to human health, like HIV or influenza. But I, I mean, yeah, why, why do you think it would be a good idea to study enteroviruses, Kelsey? Um, I mean, I think both I mean, everybody, Gina, Megan, and you, Robin, all had points that um, I also like thought about. It's um, advantageous to understand like the basic biology of how these viruses are even interacting in the cell, because if you don't know that, you have no idea what to target. Um, and one thing that we were talking about specifically for enteroviruses and for influenza as well is its ability to mutate really quickly. So for like treatment strategies, kind of the most common one is to target a part of the virus or the pathogen and um, or like one of the proteins that's required for building the virus or something like that. And so you um, disrupt that interaction. But when you have a virus that mutates really quickly, that target is going to drift or change over time. And so whatever you design against it isn't really going to work in the long term. Mm. Um, so doing basic research on these viruses gives you um, the host proteins that they need to replicate and make their little baby viruses. Um, and so, I mean, viruses are a very minimal system, so they cannot replicate outside of you. Uh, they need your host proteins to actually be able to copy themselves and then make their little baby viruses. Um, and so basic research is one strategy that we can find what the virus is using in the host cell and then target the host proteins because we obviously mutate much, much slower. And so that's going to be a much more stable treatment option. Also for like the case of, def all right, so we're talking about government funding, right? And like sure. why it's important. In the case of defense, general defense from viruses or biological warfare, like I think this is important mm -hmm. to just understand and know. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of defense funding goes to biologists 
Um, I've been trying to visualize this, and all I have is my high school science textbooks of the little virus that looks like the moon landing craft. That's the lambda phase. That's the lambda phase. Yeah. Okay. And it's the same size as the cell in my little book, and it inserts itself, and then it sits inside, and it multiplies, and then the cell explodes. Pretty sure that viruses are not the same size as a human cell. Correct. Correct. So I was trying to read about what size it is, and like 200 nanometers, and so all the sites that I was looking up last night were like, yeah, 200 nanometers. Like that's a thing yeah. that would make any sense to me. Kelsey, I think, has the actual numbers. <laughs> Should we do more? But yeah. basically, I mean, all viruses are different size. So one virus is not just a particular size. And then yeah. also every human cell is a different size as well. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say, like, exact size for each different thing. Some viruses are much larger. So give me a sense of scale here. Like, a quarter of the size of a cell, typical virus yep. versus typical much, cell. Much, much smaller. So what? Kelsey, yeah. why don't you okay. give us the generalization yes. of virus to cell size? <laughs> um, I'm going to give a disclaimer. of. So these are my rough estimates based on um, just the sizes of a virus to cell, the average sizes, a human. Average sizes. Yeah. Average sizes. Um, so if a virus were the size of a nickel, you would be the size of 460 Empire State Buildings stacked end to end. The human so body. The human, the human body. body. Yeah. The human body, yes. Um, we could do it a little bit differently. So I think do the if a virus, virus to cell. Yeah. Were, yeah. If the virus were the size of a baseball, one of your cells would be the size about the size of a baseball stadium. So then I tried to figure out how big we would be. So body, like <laughs> the length of your body. So if you if if uh, if a virus were the size of a baseball, and then your cell, one of your cells was the size of a baseball field, you would be the size of like half the width of the continental U.S. So you would be as tall from San Francisco to like Dallas, Texas. And I, I think the other part about it is that they like compared to what makes up our cell we are our cell is way more complex than a virus a virus typically doesn't encode that many genes or proteins so it has a really small genome and a really small amount of proteins that make it up and it's just a tiny little package that gets inside of the cell and wrecks havoc whereas our cell is this super complicated complex machine that has a bunch of different proteins and genes that are expressed. Which is why viruses are so cool to study because they are these tiny, tiny minimal component systems that are able to enter and take over these super complex multi, like macromolecular systems, which is your cell. Like it takes over this entire machine with like 13 proteins or 10 proteins in the case of influenza. Which is remarkable. I mean, it has base. It basically reprograms your cell to become a virus factory, and just make more of these little repeating units. But then also, this is why we're thinking these are nice tools to just understand how our cells work on a fundamental level, because obviously they're targeting something important. So mm-hmm. what are they targeting, and how how is that like a baseline for? how our cells are working. Can we program like good viruses to like I mean that's awesome what things? we do. We do program viruses to do th- I mean for science. So we do program viruses to put the genes we want inside of cells. We program viruses to 
carry out certain functions that we want. So yeah, we do yeah, use viruses. There's a lot of yeah. um, researchers that are studying, yeah, exactly what Robin said, using the system that viruses have already established to deliver useful things like drugs or peptides or yeah. therapeutics or in this in yeah DNA that or DNA yeah. would so like change the genes of the host cell. Yeah. yeah, we could be friends with viruses, right? Like yeah, uh, we typically are. Like a lot coexist. Of, yeah, a lot of <laughs> the things that people think of as bad, scientists tend to use as like molecular tools. Okay, I do have a weird thing I worry about when I have a cold or a flu, because you know who knows now. Um, that when I stay home and my cat sits with me, my cat sometimes sneezes. And I know he just <laughs> sometimes sneezes, but then I worry that I've gotten him sick. I'm not actually giving him the cold, am I? Enteroviruses and influenza uh, tend to be species-specific, although, uh, and Kelsey, you can probably weigh in here, influenza does circulate among other species. Yeah. Not cats, no, but okay. not cats. birds and dogs. dogs and pigs. Dogs is one, yeah. so. Dogs. Oh. Yeah. Fish? Are my, is bait no, fish okay? but like no. aquatic birds um, or migrator, migratory birds. Yeah. So like the pigs. avian flu yeah. came from a bird. Okay. Ducks, yeah. geese, wow. but those are aquatic birds. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pigs, pigs are yeah the swine flu, right? Swine flu, yeah. Bats, oh yeah. Bats carry a lot of viruses for humans. So yeah. cats are good. Cats, yeah. So yeah. Cats, like, don't, yeah. cats don't typically try these specific yeah. viruses. Cats, yeah, cats okay. are infected. Yeah. All right. So I had a dog in my worry, but no, my cat can cuddle with <laughs> me. Yeah. Okay. Good. Now I feel good. Yeah. yeah. There are other pathogens that cats can carry. Oh yeah, cat, like yeah, parasites can. and other things. So it's not like your cat is. A safe haven <laughs> that you should be like eating its like whatever, yeah. but like, but yes, no, you're not gonna give your cat the flu or, or okay. the cold. I mean, yeah. I try not to share glasses with him, but I know Sometimes he drinks he out of my drinks water out of your glass. glass. Yeah. yeah, okay, so I don't have to worry. <laughs> Sometimes they just do what just, they want to do. Uh, it's a cat. Yeah, it's what a are you cat. gonna do? <laughs> Say no. Thank you for joining us today as we took a deeper dive into the research behind the headline. We hope you join us next time when we talk about Fusarium wilt, a fungus that threatens the yellow bananas we know and love. We want to extend a huge thank you to every person who is doing their part to keep us all safe, to feed us, to heal us, to keep our daily lives running, and to help support researchers and medical professionals who are working to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you to everyone who's doing their part in remembering to wash your hands, in keeping up the social distancing and in wearing your masks when you're out in public. We know that times are hard and confusing, so thank you so much for doing what you can to help. We hope that our podcast can be a source of information and maybe even entertainment during these challenging times. In our role as scientists, we always aim to be as accurate and precise as possible while still communicating plainly. But in case we didn't do this, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about what we said in this episode, or if you just want to say hi, please reach out to us at biologistsbeingbasic at gmail.com or at biosbeingbasic on Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and we will do our best to respond. And if you like this episode and potentially want to hear more, please like and subscribe. We want to thank Professor Nevin Kirkin, who is our boss and the director of QBI, as well as UCSF and Gladstone Institutes who are our employers. I would like to thank our guests and friends and all around awesome human beings, Gina and Megan. And thank you to Alexa Rocourt and Michael McGregor, who are our sound engineers and producers. 
Our music has been Catalyst and Passport by Purple Planet Music. I remember, did you guys ever play the game of life? Mm, yes. And they gave you those little tiles. Yeah. And one of the tiles was like, find cure for the common cold, receive $50,000 or something yeah. like that. Okay. I, I don't remember <laughs> that one. I don't one. remember that one. Oh. You have twins. Oh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember specifically the, like, cure the common cold one. And I was like, And I think that excellent. is it. I think I got that one. Too. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, sweet. It was like, it was like I just cured the common cold. And then it, it, it so says this tile. Yeah. <laughs>